0: You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was
1: a defensive back. No, I know. Was he any good? I
2: said. 103.9 FM
0: LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Welcome, welcome, welcome to a new show of the Weekend Crunch. Happy New Year to all the fans out there. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy, the Grizzly Bear, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, how was your New Year's? Are you enjoying the new year? My new year already has started off very, very badly. So far, mine
2: has been good outside of my computer stuff that I had to deal with. Unfortunately, I could not recover that. Your fault. Not denying that. (laughs) I spilled it. I know. What was it,
0: coffee? Was it a beer?
2: No. I don't know. You like your beer. I do, but it wasn't a beer. It was liquor.
0: Ah. He didn't want to announce what he was drinking because he doesn't want anybody to think he's a drunk. (laughs) Well.
2: Good old speed. Maybe uh, that's
0: why you dropped it.
2: No, it was one of the first ones I had. I was far from that that night. I was wearing a jacket. It just spilled because I have the two computers. So. Nobody gives a crap, Speedy.
0: <laughs> Nobody cares about the liquor that you drink.
2: You were probably
0: drunk when you dropped it.
2: No, I wasn't. We I didn't drop had it. I a I hate it. first of all.
0: We had a great New Year with my family. We did lose my nephew last year, so it's been very, very hard. But I tried to make what's best of it. But the starting of the year has been absolutely horrific and horrible for me. So that's a whole nother story. We're here to talk sports. We're not here to talk about my life or your life, Speedy, or you spilling your liquor all over your computer because you were drunk. Anyways, we got a great show lined up for you guys. We'll get into the Antonio Brown saga. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Antonio Brown. It all happened in MetLife Stadium. Not surprised it happens in New York. We will have a guest, probably 7.45, 8 o'clock. We'll be talking to Debbie Watts, football prospect, evaluator, and writer, Jason Darienzo, he's going to be joining us. Fabulous prospect evaluator. We'll talk a little NFL. Some of these young players going into the NFL in this year's draft. The Hutchinsons of the world. The Thibodeau's of the world. Stingley's, who could be a Jet this year. So we will get into that a little bit later in the show. We'll talk a little bit of baseball. There's really nothing to talk about as of now. But the Yankees did lose a manager on their bench. A guy that they signed in a week later. He flees the Yankees to go to the Mets. And that's Eric Chavez, third baseman that played for the Yankees for a couple of years, a gold glove winner, really good hitter. He is heading to the New York Mets and Buck Showalter. And also, the Mets add Joey Cora to that management side of the Diamond. So, the Mets have some good managers right now that are going to be sitting in the bench. Guys, that could be future managers in the major leagues. Buck Showalter, why not be happy if you are a Mets fan? But we'll get into that a little bit later. We will talk about the Rangers. Did the Rangers win? No, they got smoked. <laughs> That's right, I know. I, I wanted to ask you that because I love it because it was Thursday and we were doing the sports loud and watching Tyler Harrison bounce and smack his hand against the table because he was so pissed off that put a nice little smile on my face. The Rangers getting smoked by the Las Vegas Knights but I thought this was going to happen to the Rangers. I'll tell you why. The Islanders are going to be out for at least another week with the COVID situation. The Islanders by the time they come back, teams will have eight games in front of them so they're going to have to play catch me up and probably play back to back days or maybe a doubleheader. Has anybody seen a doubleheader in hockey? No, I never saw it. No. I've never seen it, but uh, maybe the NHL will start to do that. I doubt it, but <laughs> yeah, nah, I doubt it. Better hope thinking that, but anyways, we'll also get into week 18, the final week of the NFL season. And by the way, the first week 18 we've ever seen mm-hmm. because that's the extra week they added to the NFL season. So we'll get into that. We'll talk a little draft football. As you know, we'll be talking to Jason. So he'll he'll give us the, his thoughts to What the prospect pool is and we will get into college football, the championship, the national championship. But first things first, Antonio Brown. I was watching the Jet game. Bits and pieces in the first half, but really concentrated in the third and fourth quarter. The Jets had a lead. Zach Wilson was playing pretty well. He wasn't playing like the superstar quarterback that the Jet fans want to see right now, but he is a rookie. But he looked really good throughout the game. And the game really was moving towards the Jets' side. A lot of people believed that the Jets were going to pull off this upset, knock off Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, the Super Bowl champions. But something happened in the fourth quarter. Mike Evans was trying to comment Down, I was listening to a bunch of radio shows, and people were saying that Mike Evans and him were throwing punches or throwing smacks. I don't know what the heck was going on. But there was a video that came out this week, very interesting, with Antonio Brown because Mike Evans was trying to calm him down. There was no thrown punches, no thrown slaps. The story coming out over there with uh, Tampa is Bruce Arians told him to get on the field, and he told Bruce Arians he's too hurt. He's not getting back on the field, which pissed him off. And he says, well, if you're not going to get back on the field, you're done. You're out of here. You're never playing another football game here for the Buccaneers. So he got pissed off. Evans tried to calm him down. He winds up taking his helmet off. He winds up taking off his pads, throwing it to the side of the bench that they sit in. And he takes his shirt off and he throws it to the audience and runs outside the end zone with two fingers up, I guess the peace sign. And runs right through to the back to the locker rooms. Nobody knew what happened. A lot of of the security over there. And and some of the coaches thought it was a fan trying to get on the field Mm. naked. But it wasn't a fan. It was Antonio Brown. Then the stories are coming out over the last couple of days. This Antonio Brown was very upset because Bruce Arians in that management And that coaching staff told him that he needs to play. And they injected him with an illegal substance that the NFL does not allow. It's a painkiller. Into his ankle where they forced him to play in the game because they needed him. And when his ankle started to hurt him even more, he told him, I can't do this anymore. And that's when Bruce Arians went buck wild on him and told him, if you don't get on the field, you're done. He got pissed off. He took off his pants and ran to the locker room. If this story... Is true, Speedy, the NFL needs to drop the hammer on the Buccaneers. There will not be a Bruce Arians next year coaching on that team. That's for damn sure, and probably never again uh, in the NFL, because we've seen this. We all know about the Saints. You remember that with Peyton and Vikingins? This is a lot worse. When you're injecting something into a player, when it's a banned substance— here and for the NFL because of the situations of what it could cause. And if it's true, Antonio Brown could have been paralyzed if his ankle snapped. So what are your thoughts, baby? because I I've been talking enough with this segment. It really makes me sick to my stomach. I don't know if Antonio Brown's telling the truth because the day after the game, he was hanging out of the Brooklyn Nets game right. and hanging out with fabulous. And then the night before the jet game where he had that outburst, he snuck in a supermodel. So I guess
2: uh, in his hotel, so I don't know how hurt he was, but he claims he was really hurt. Well, maybe he was sneaking in to give Kyrie Irving a fake vaccination card. Maybe. <laughs> but in all seriousness, there's definitely still... he was still giving that. him
0: his dirty underwear that he could sign.
2: <laughs> so, but in all seriousness, though, it, there is a lot of loose ends still to this. There's also Antonio Brown's personal doctor that was saying a lot of different things from the Buccaneers team doctor and saying that the ankle injury was actually even worse than they prescribed it as because there was also only one injury report that came out, which was December twenty sixth, which was the Monday before the game. And that... Doesn't bode well for saying, all right, they were telling the truth on what their injury is. The Buccaneers seem like they were faking the injury in that case. And if that's the case, we've seen teams get penalized for that kind of thing, too. The Seahawks being a recent one with that, with their contact in practice. And then they have these guys still being listed as active on the injury report when they're actually being banged up from that. And they lost draft picks because of that. You mentioned the Saints doing that same kind of thing with Sean Payton at one point. So there's definitely a lot of loose ends. And Loomis. Yeah. Antonio Brown still isn't the most believable person in the world either. That being said, though, he remember he had that same case with his foot with the Raiders too, where they gave him that ice thing, the substances that they had, and it messed up his foot there too. And he ended up suing the Raiders. I'm not sure if he actually ended up getting that money in the process, but he never ended up playing it down with the Raiders because of that whole debacle. And that kind of thing shows that he has some conscientious with his injuries. So yes, he's out of whack. Yes, he's a diva receiver. Yeah, he might be a head case that... Maybe a 33 years old, a team isn't going to want. But still, he might have a legitimate case here, though, too. Now, his antics are his antics. I still don't think he should have gone out the way he did you know, in the stadium with his shirt off and all that stuff. Essentially, like, maybe it's rooting the, these fans on. and like, Maybe
0: it's the Netflix documentary he wants Netflix to do on him and his family. Yeah, I, I think... He's trying to make
2: some money. There is still he doesn't so, have much. That's yeah. No, there's still some Antonio Brown craziness mixed in there. I'm not d- completely defending him by any means, but is still some loose ends that might go in his favor and might make everybody look bad. Antonio Brown, the Buccaneers, Bruce Arians, that training staff, the ownership. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to end up getting charged with different things when it comes to losing their jobs as well. Antonio Brown is probably not going to play in the NFL again, as it is, but you're right. Bruce Arians, if he's involved in this, he's not coaching again. The general manager will get fired. The owner might be forced into something, giving a lot of money. They're going to lose draft picks like the Saints did, like the Seahawks did. So there's a lot of loose ends, if that is all true. Do I believe Antonio Brown's doctor? I'm not sure, but... Having a personal doctor, it focuses on one guy in comparison to the whole team. Maybe he knows a little more.
0: I think he knows a lot more than what has come out. But Antonio Browns is definitely a personality. And he really messes not only with the media, but TMZ, we all know the background with him with Instagram and and posting things up in a locker room he shouldn't have posted up when he was in Pittsburgh. (laughs) The whole Oakland situation, he was there and then he was gone, he took a contract, couldn't get along with John Gruden. John Gruden said, "Uh, sayonara, he slowly but surely got a Patriots job. And then he was there for what? One game? Two games. Two games. <laughs> Literally and then two games. Belichick <laughs> fired him, too. So it doesn't seem like his head is in the right state of mind. And. I think he needs to talk to somebody, but if this story is true, maybe a team will give him another chance. You can't blame him for what happened. Now, it didn't make any sense why he was taking off his shirt and embarrassing himself, but he wanted to be a center of attention. He's trying to put fannies in the seats. He's trying to uh, get this documentary on Netflix, so I understand what he's trying to sell, but to me, that was the wrong way of trying to sell it. Embarrassing for Antonio Brown. And embarrassing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Super Bowl champions. And I give Tom Brady a lot of credit because he he didn't say anything to throw Antonio Brown under the bus. But if I was Tom Brady, I wouldn't be happy. That's for sure. But that story is something that really mixes up with this story. And here in New York, it seems like there's a quarterback frenzy. And I'm not talking about the Jets. I'm talking about the Giants. And the Giant fans just think that Daniel Jones is garbage. He's not good. He's not any good. And they need to decide what they're going to do with him at the end of the season. Now, there's stories coming out with, obviously, these all these veteran quarterbacks that could be available. The Kirk Cousins of the world. The Aaron Rodgers of the world. The Russell Wilsons of the world. The Deshaun Watsons of the world. There's a tremendous amount of talent that's going to be out there in the offseason. That if you need a quarterback and a star quarterback, you can go out there. If you can open up your pockets, you can get them. But you're going to have to trade somebody, too. And there are stories coming out, even though Russell Wilson has... Really kind of washed his hands from it because he says he wants to retire and win another Super Bowl with Seattle. What a crock you-know-what. He wants out. He wants to go to a big marketplace because that's where his wife wants to go. Look, his wife was hosting New Year's Eve. What does that tell you of where they want to be? They want to be in the center stage. They want to be where... She might have her own radio show, and and Russell Wilson could be the star quarterback for a professional football team here in New York. Now, it's not going to be the Jets, and it's not going to be the Buffalo Bills because they have their two young, talented quarterbacks. It really comes to one and only one, and that's the Giants. And Daniel Jones, I, I really believe if anybody didn't hear Kyle Rudolph, he was interviewed on the Tyranny and Tiki Barber show on WFAN, and Kyle Rudolph said, that Daniel Jones is the best quarterback he's ever played with. You're talking about Kirk Cousins, who's a all-star. He's a pro ball player. At one point, was averaging almost 4,000 yards every single year for five years. He says he's better than, more talented, and more accurate than Kirk Cousins. Then you talk about all the other quarterbacks that he has played with. He has told Tierney and Tiki Barber that Daniel Jones is the best quarterback he's ever played with. The most athletic. And they can win with Daniel Jones. And he believes cold-heartedly that... This team, if they protect him and put pieces around him, they can win. Kyle Rudolph is an all-pro, all-star type of tight end. Is he that anymore? He's not. But when he was over there in Minnesota and he was healthy, there might have been one or two better tight ends than him. And he's telling everybody that Daniel Jones is the best quarterback he's ever played with. But this saga and this craziness that's going on with the Giants, and I'm not surprised because Gettleman's on his way out. Joe Judge seems to open up his mouth too much and embarrass himself. Blame everybody but himself. And blame everybody else and then say that everybody wants to come and play for him. Even though he lost (laughs) two players in the offseason, he claims that everybody wants to come over here because they have such a great culture. Yeah, a culture of losing. Joe Judge is really a menace. I don't care... What any Giant fans want to do, they want to stick up for Joe Judge, good for you. You want to stand up for a guy that absolutely doesn't know what he's doing? You want to stand up for a guy that tries to be Bill Belichick when he doesn't have the accolades to be Bill Belichick? It is embarrassing that this guy goes up there in the press, and he hasn't treated the press or talked very nice to the press since he came here. And he knew that taking this job, it's all about the press and how you deal with the press every single day, week in and week out. And he hasn't done a good job with that. Even Robert Sala, who is not used to being the center of attention, even though he is, a big, tall, bold guy that could be a model, he's taken over for the Jets, and he's really given the Jets a culture, a personality to this staff. Now, we have to see this personality be brought out, and we'll talk about the Jets in the next segment, but... The Giants don't have that. And how do they expect this guy, this kid, Daniel Jones, to be the quarterback they believed he was going to be when they drafted him? When they don't put pieces around him. Their offensive line stinks. Their wide receiver core, they bring in Kenny Galladay, he's making a ton of money, stinks. Sterling Shepard, if he can't get himself out of trouble, he's putting himself into trouble with his divorce and what this team is all about. He can't stay on the field. And don't get me started with Ingram. This team is terrible, horrible with the talent. Saquon Barkley, I don't know what the hell happened to him, but he has fallen off. I don't want to hear from Tyler either, trying to compare him to Barry Sanders. Nut job. This giant team, it's
2: horrible, Speedy. It is absolutely horrible. Yeah, Joe Judge, what culture do they have right now? They have a culture of dysfunction, and some of that is you. Not all of it is you, but some of it is you, because you're trying to bring in this disciplinary measures to a young team— a team that's been thrown together, a team that's not used to this Patriot culture that you're trying to bring. And there's a reason that a lot of ex Belichick disciples don't work in other places. Mike Vrabel was a player and he's worked in Tennessee, but that's really been it in terms of that coaching tree. The other Bill Belichick disciples try to be him too much and you're not going to be able to duplicate it. And Bill Belichick is not just a mastermind of managing a team, coaching, he also knows how to discipline and control players, which you clearly do not know how to do if you're throwing everybody under the bus the way you have, and you're like, oh, everyone wants to come here. All right, Kenny Gallagher, yeah, of course Kenny Gallagher did not want to come here when he's getting paid $4 million a year Overpaid. than every other team, and the only reason the Giants were probably in on that is because he was trying to steal him from the Eagles. You know why that's called? A panic move, proving that... They're desperate. They don't know what they're doing when it comes to getting that. I wasn't the biggest Daniel Jones fan either, but you can't blame him for this kind of year where he's been thrown into the fire with Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens as play callers. Outside of Andrew Thomas, a god-awful offensive line. And Kyle Rudolph said it with the show that Daniel Jones has the athletic ability that even guys like Teddy Bridgewater and even Kirk Cousins, who were thought of as good quarterbacks in Minnesota when they were there, Cousins still there, Daniel Jones has those kinds of abilities above those guys. So Mm -hmm. he definitely still has something there. So at this point, you have to give him that other chance again, if they bring in a new coach that maybe has wants quote unquote, his guy,
0: you don't understand you're a giant fan, but you know, giant fans don't want to hear that. Give him another chance, give him another chance. But you want to know something? You have to open up your eyes and realize that this kid could be the future of this organization. And they believe by giving up a first-round draft pick on a quarterback, you better hope that he becomes that guy. Look where the Jets are. They went in three years with the the third pick in the draft with Sam Darnold. He goes somewhere else. He's a bust. And now Zach Wilson. Finally, we're seeing some good things with Zach Wilson. But it's taken a whole season to figure it out. So hopefully he develops even more next year. But we said this about R.J. Barrett with the Knicks. We mm-hmm. thought he was going to grow. His first year, he looked like he averaged 14 points. His second year, 17 points. Now this year, he's taking a drop. And he's now averaging 14 again. You can't win with a guy that's not developing into that superstar player that you drafted him at. And you could only hope that Daniel Jones figures that out. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into our free-for-all, three for all picks of the week. We'll get into Week 17. Week 18, let's go! We are back! Happy New Year! Slurra, blah, 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 blah. The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Drizzle P.D. Remember, kill us in our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time Only on 103.9... The LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. DJ Speedy. Rick, 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 Rick. Yes. Anyways, uh it's been crazy. It's been a crazy new year. So many different things, ups and downs. And and now we have the new year with all these special guests that we're going to be bringing to this network for 103.9. If you're not a sports fan, you should be listening to us. You should be following us and and really giving us the support because I believe we're the next up-and-coming stars when it comes to sports radio. And we're here in Long Island showing what we're worth and who we are before we get the opportunity to go and jump ship it and move elsewhere to other networks. But we're very happy. I'd like to thank Bruce. I'd like to thank Pat, I'd like to thank John from JVC for giving us the opportunity to do this. So thank you, guys. Let's get into Week 17 first, and then we'll do our free-for-all picks of the week because I'm in the lead, and by one, but if I can uh – Win this week, I'll win the season. But uh, it's been a bad year for me when it comes to picks. It's crazy to say that because I'm pretty good at making picks. In this one, it's bad because we're picking three. But when we are in the sports loudmouths, we pick every single game. And I'm tailing one behind Jeff, and I will beat him this week and take over first place so I can stick it down his throat. <laughs> Anyways, we'll get into the Jets first because we just talked to Giants. Besides the Antonio Brown thing, Zach Wilson is showing improvement. All the Jet fans... All the press, all the writers, all the delinquents that don't understand the game of football has to understand that it takes a while for a quarterback, a young quarterback, to develop coming from a really small school. It's not a big school. BYU is not a collegiately top SEC school. It's not. He's not playing against the best of the best. He's playing against good teams, but not top talent. When you talk about Zach Wilson, I knew there was going to be ups and downs in his first year. You'll see a definite improvement next year. Definite. Then your third year, you expect him to become the star the franchise. The guy that you want to build your team around. Because if he's not there at that time, he's never going to be there. But this team has played very well the last couple of weeks. Defensively, they've played very well. They're secondary. I I love Michael Carter. The second. I like Eccles. He looks good. He looks like a good guy that's coming off the bench and filling in spots. Bryce Hall, look at the wide receivers he stopped. There was a whole poll of top-end wide receivers he's played against this year and kept them under 35 uh, yards. So you're seeing the development of him. Elijah Vera Tucker looks like he's going to be a great guard in this league. Elijah Moore, when he's actually in the game, looks like he's going to be a speedster, a talent. A force to be reckoned with. So, to take shots at Joe Douglas that he hasn't found the right players and good players moving forward, you're wrong. Joe Douglas is doing his job when it comes to the drafting. His free agency has been horrible, but maybe that'll change. I mean, George Fon has looked like a good signing for him. George Fon was one of the best left tackles this year. Before he got hurt the other day. Top five tackle in the league for the money that they're paying him. So you have to be happy about that. He wasn't wrong about that. He's been wrong about a couple of things that has affected the locker room and affected this team. But the Jets, next year, they're going to be better. Any Jet fan out there that doesn't think that, then you don't know what you're watching. C.J. Mosey's going to recruit. He's come out and said he's going to recruit players. He's going to push players to come to New York to play with the Jets and Robert Sala and Zach Wilson because you're going to have a chance to win. He believes in it. He believes in the process. This Jet team is not a Super Bowl contender, not even close. They're not even a playoff contender. But next year, they can absolutely jump and win eight games, nine games. And winning eight or nine games could get you in as a seven seed. That extra spot. Look at the AFC right now. Whoever wins the AFC is going to either be 9-7 and or 10-6. and Could be even worse than that. Who knows? But you have to look at the big picture, and you have to say to yourself that this team might have it right. Speedy, I, I know you're not a Jet fan. I know you watch a lot of football. What are your thoughts to Zach Wilson? Do you see that the kid is growing? Do you believe that this kid could be the franchise for
2: this team for many, many years to come? The last month of the season, I think he's impressed in a lot of different ways. First, his throwing on the run ability, I think, has definitely been a lot better. He still has to get those simpler throws down because this is a very heavy motion offense and it relies a lot on short passes in the yards after the catch. So he has to start at least being accurate, more accurate there, but he's more accurate outside, which is the biggest thing I like when it comes to development of a quarterback, because he was a- really forcing the middle a lot at the beginning of the season. And now he's trusting those outside receivers and outside routes concepts to work. And that includes getting running backs involved. That includes getting slot receivers involved. We've seen emergence from somebody like Braxton Berrios with all these other guys hurt. They need to sign him. Yeah. So there he's trusting those other options and spreading the ball around more. So there's definitely growth in terms of the jets as a team they definitely have a sense of direction that they're going in the right direction with the draft picks that they have, with the draft stock that they have in the future. They could do a lot of different things with this team. The jets have to think of themselves kind of where the Bengals were last year. They had all these young players all at once. You definitely have some promise with a young quarterback. Now I'm not saying they did as well as the Bengals did last year, but they have to think of it like that because they're kind of on a similar path. They, had a lot of veterans, they had to purge them, a lot of bad contracts had to purge a lot of them. Outside of the C.J. Mosley one, that's really the only big one left. And they've made some of them work. And if they can progress to be kind of what the Bengals are this year, I'm not saying they necessarily have to win 10 games and do all that, but if they can show that kind of growth, that's the step that the Jets are going to take. And they have an obvious sense of direction. Even though Joe Douglas's free agency hasn't worked in terms of getting every player to be what they were. At least they don't have any bad contracts holding them back like other bad teams do, like the Texans have a bunch of them, like the Lions have a bunch of them, like the Giants have a bunch of them. The Jets don't really have that kind of thing. Their biggest contract right now is Mosley. So at least the Jets have that going for them where they have leeway to improve. And... In terms of competitiveness in the games, they've been better at that in the last month too. They don't have to win every game. This season wasn't supposed to be defined by wins and losses. But in the first half of the season, they looked uncompetitive at times. The second half, they've at least looked competitive in the majority of the games. So that's a good sign. And definitely certain players have really grown nicely. As far as the Baltimore Ravens are concerned, they knocked themselves out of the playoffs.
0: They knocked themselves out of the Mm -hmm. playoffs. A team that was a Super Bowl contender going into the season, a lot of people thought that the Ravens could be the Super Bowl champion. This year, I don't know what happened to Lamar Jackson, but uh, this Raven team is going to have to figure it out in the offseason. Is Lamar Jackson the future quarterback of this team for the next five years? And I, I know he won an MVP. You can't give up on an MVP because he was an MVP about a year and a half ago. He's got the talent to be successful in the NFL. But that game against the Rams, when you had to lead the whole game, you were playing great defense. To lose mm-hmm. a game like that, it's definitely shell shocking. Where the Ravens are is ownership and management is going to have to decide if they want to go another way. Maybe John Harbaugh has lost his voice in that locker room. Quite possibly could have. Now, I I don't know. I'm not the judge, and I'm not sitting there as a fly in the locker room saying, oh, look what I heard. But I think that there's a lot of thought that this Raven team – has gone as far as it possibly
2: can with John Harbaugh. You wonder, too, if Lamar Jackson has always been another one of those mystery injury reports every week. And it always yep. seems like, all right, this is the week he's come back, and then he doesn't play. They list him as questionable, and he doesn't play. They said he's a full persistent in practice. How much do you believe that? And if that's the case, how much are you going to believe this coaching staff? And Lamar Jackson might take that into account and say – either you're going to pay me extra to stay here because you're giving me a hard time or I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. So that can make it harder for a Ravens team. That is normally great at maneuvering contracts and getting guys to fit and signing gem free agents. Now, if you're the Ravens, historically, you've been a pretty bad quarterback franchise, so you probably have to err on the side of trying to sign him as best as you can, because, mm-hmm. again, this draft's not great for quarterbacks, unless you can maneuver a trade for one of the veterans, but still, it's not very likely. And you're built on running and defense your entire franchise existence. Joe Flacco was a solid quarterback. Right. It's the best one in your franchise history. So you really have to make that kind of thing work, and the... Trajectory this coaching staff had definitely didn't help. The best game of the week in week 17
0: was the Bengals and the Kansas City Chiefs. Yep. That game was remarkable. Joe Burrows made all the throws, and at the end of the game, first and goal, second and goal, third and goal, fourth and goal. Then they go on fourth and goal, and a penalty happens. Kansas City gets the penalty. They started all over, and while they went fourth and goal, Joe Burrows gets hurt. They bring in their backup quarterback. He kneels, and they kick a field goal with seven seconds left and win the game. And honestly, Kansas City had the lead in the whole first half. A lot of people thought the game was down and out, and the Bengals came back. You got to give a lot of credit to the young kid. Joe Burrows is a star. He's going to be good for many, many Remember, he tore his ACL, MCL, and his everything, and his meniscus, everything. Mm -hmm. His whole leg went. Yep. He came back faster than any quarterback we've ever seen, and now he's back to normal. He's taking the Bengals to the playoffs. They haven't been there in a while. They haven't won a playoff game in, like, 30, 40 years. 1991. <laughs> this is a great chance for the Bengals to come out and being, first of all, they're division winners. Who would have thought they were going to win the division right. this year <laughs> in a very hard division? It's mm-hmm. not a hard division this year. I don't want to hear from Tyler because you have two eight-win teams, one— Seven win team, and they have one team that's ten and six. That's not a great division. It's not as bad as the NFC East, but it's horrible. But the Bengals—you have to give them a lot of credit. Mixon is is a star running back. Jamar Chase is rookie of the year. This team is fantastic. It's a great team. But that was the game that really stood out to me, Speedy. Well, here
2: is the thing, Zach Taylor—you got bailed out. That was arguably one of the worst coaching debacles. One going for it on fourth down. Two, the play call. Then your quarterback gets hit in the process where you know the Chiefs are going to be rushing the passer with a goal-line defense. All right, you got lucky uh, bailed out by a penalty. That doesn't justify anything that you did. And now you got your quarterback hurt where he's not going to be able to play. Now, now, granted, it's a meaningless game because, all right, they might flip from a four to a three or a three to a two, whatever, but they're not getting a bye. So odds are the game was meaningless, but still, that kind of injury is not going to help your quarterback. And there's no reason for you to go for it on fourth down in the first place. You lucked out because of a penalty. That doesn't justify how bad of a decision that was. All right, you kick a field goal with 50 seconds. Is that what you're afraid of? At least take the lead. Don't... Gamble on it, and if you miss, Patrick Mahomes still has time. I grant a bad field position, but still has time. Or they could win it in overtime with a coin toss. It was a shootout game, so really, really bad debacle by Zach Taylor. You can't be doing those kinds of things in the playoffs. It was a remarkable game, and and that
0: shows you why Joe Burrow and this Bengal team can knock off anybody in the AFC. And I, I'm telling you, if they meet Kansas City again, I think they could beat Kansas City again. I think they have the talent to compete with the great AFC teams, so watch out for the Bengals. Are you ready, Speedy, for the three for all, free for all picks of the week?
2: Yes, here we go. So it's all going to be all playoff team themes this week. So nobody that is eliminated. So the first game will start with technically they're still in. It's going to take a lot is the Steelers and the Ravens. Go ahead, Speedy. And the over-under for that game is 41.5. Steelers at the Ravens. I'm going to take the Ravens in this one, even though you're right, they have not looked good. Five losses in a row. That defense has looked like a mess with all the three injuries out, but they still played well against the Rams amidst all that. I think the Steelers have a bit of a letdown after the Big Ben ceremonial final home game. They destroy the Browns the way they did. I think they have a bit of a letdown. Both these teams need the Raiders and Chargers not to tie and the Colts to lose, so good luck with them making the playoffs. But I'll take the Ravens in this one. I'll take on the under.
0: I got the Ravens, too. I, I I think Pittsburgh going to Baltimore, and I know it's Big Ben's last game, but Big Ben played his and won his last game over there in Pittsburgh. I think that will be his last win of his career. But I like the Ravens in this game. They Even though there's still a chance they can make the playoffs, a very slight chance, they're not going into the playoffs. They're going to have to decide what they're going to do in the offseason, but that doesn't fit to what we're talking about. So give me the Ravens on the under.
2: All right. San Francisco 49ers at the L.A. Rams, the over-under 44.5 for this one. I'm going to take the 49ers in this one. Even though they have a question mark of who's playing quarterback, I think they have a good matchup with their running game and George Kittle. The Rams' inside linebackers and safeties have been a big weakness for their team this year. Their run defense has been not terrible, but still below average, where... That's going to be a problem for them. And the Niners have owned them recently. They've won, I think, six of the last seven matches. And even with crappy teams sometimes, they've hung tough. So I'm going to take the Niners. They need this game to get in, and they will get in. I'll take them on the under.
0: I like the Rams. I really do. I think the Rams, they need this game because they can move up in the spot that they're in. And I like what I see with this team. I think they have Cooper Cup, who is the best wide receiver in football. They have a good running game. Akers are coming back. Henderson, you have that talent, that offensive line that's a veteran offensive line that can protect their quarterback. And that defense has played very, very well as well. One of the best defenses in the league. So, give me the Rams on the under.
2: All righty. Final game, Sunday Night Football. Winner gets into the playoffs, the L.A. Chargers and the Las Vegas Raiders. So, the Chargers won the first meeting on Monday Night Football earlier in the season. I think the Raiders get their revenge. And as I mentioned in the Sports Lab, Mess, they do it for the legend of John Madden. The Raiders will play old-school football in this game, run the ball against a really bad Chargers run defense, third worst in the league right now. Josh Jacobs, I know, has dealt with some injury issues, but I still think he plays well in this game. And I think they can attack the middle of the field. I think you'll see a big game from Hunter Renfro. And the Raiders have been very good in close games this year, and this defense continues to play very well. And Austin Eckler's still not 100% yet for the Chargers. I think that's going to be a tough one for them to be able to get a balanced offense. So I'm going to take the Raiders in a close one on the under.
0: I got the Raiders, too. I think the Raiders are the better overall team. They've had a lot of ups and downs this year. They lose their coach. They lose their best wide receiver. They lose so many different. They're the cornerback, gun charges, just everything and anything that could possibly happen to this Raiders Now another one with
2: a DUI, too. Oh, a DUI. I
0: mean, (laughs) they can't stay out of trouble. But they're still a good football team. They have Derek Carr, who I think is one of the more underrated quarterbacks in the league. Give me Derek Carr and the Raiders on the under. So those are our three-for-all, free-for-all picks of the week, the final week of the NFL season, ladies and gentlemen. When we come back, our special guest will be talking to Devi Watch, football prospect, evaluator, and writer, Jason Darienzo, here on the Weekend Crunch. Rawr. I like it. I like it. I like the beat. That's me beatboxing, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy, I need a bite, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time Only on 103.9. The L.I. News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports E-Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app, but go on iOS and download our app on the search Android. If you don't have an iPhone, all you have to do is go search Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 our special guest, we've had... Plenty of them. We are now talking to Devi Watch Football Prospect Evaluator and Jason
1: Enzo. What's going on, Jason? Ah, what's going on guys? Doing awesome. And you nailed the last name by the way. So I'm glad when I put that in there, <laughs> it worked out with the dear E Enzo. That's good. I'm glad that worked. I, I am very bad with pronouncing names. You and me would have a tie then. I'm horrible. Yes. <laughs> I butcher names all the time.
0: Trust me, I butcher names really, really badly, especially hockey names. We've had a bunch of hockey players over the years on the show. And I've butchered their names And they look at me And they're like What the hell Did you know how to pronounce a name And what's so funny about Ex-hockey players Hockey really? announcers then I wonder what they do Over there in Canada I guess dual citizenship They have girls names over there Ashley Erica
2: Our Islanders guest uh, A couple months ago Was Michelle It's crazy
0: But I make fun And they don't like it But anyways Jason before we get into Some prospects And football conversation with you Tell us a little bit about How you became The football prospect evaluator And what
1: made you start writing Yeah so I spent some time overseas in japan i was in the united states navy and when you can't watch football because it's on at like two three o'clock in the morning and you're out to sea and there's no way to freaking watch it you start missing the things that you appreciate so i was like you know what when i get out when i'm back i'm watching some football started doing it now i have a personal training background strength coach background so as i'm watching it i started seeing some player movements and i'm like man there's something to some of these prospects and players that i'm watching but let, let me just post on Twitter what I think about them. And next thing I know, I was like, let me start writing what I think they could become. And before I knew it, I was just getting like, hey, tell me what you think about this guy. Tell me what you think about this guy. And it just kind of all evolved from that mm-hmm. to the point where I joined Dynasty Football Factory first. Moved on to the Debbie Watch with a couple of the guys that we started doing Debbie Watch there. Dan Hatman of the Scouting Academy reached out to me and said, hey, man. He's like, I got some opportunities for you and took some courses with him through the Scouting Academy. And that was one of the best opportunities I've had. Now I'm just completely and utterly addicted to the evaluation process. You're a a scout freak. Ah, I'm a scout freak. Yes.
0: I gave you a nickname. We'll call you (laughs) Jason the Scout Freak. DiRienzo I like that I might have to change The Twitter handle From All Purpose Scout To Scout Freak I I like the Scout Freak We'll call you the (laughs) Scout Freak And Speedy Speedy Petey (laughs) Errol's
2: convinced That my face Looks like the kid From the 1979 Version of Pete's Dragon That's right
1: Oh my gosh Well Speedy Petey Just flows anyway Yeah it does That's that's a rockstar name And
2: Jason He
0: talks very fast So why don't we Get into the draft Right now Jacksonville is sitting At number one If somehow They beat the Colts This coming week They could fall All the way to second. But I don't think that's going to happen when you look at the number one pick right now and predominantly we're hearing it's Hutchinson. What do you know about Hutchinson that really stands out to you? Do you think he's the predominant number one pick in this year's draft?
1: I don't. I love Aiden Hutchinson. He put on quite the performance this year, shows a lot of nuance, very intelligent with the way he uses his moves to beat the tackles and get around the edge. But I think Kayvon Thibodeau's the dark horse here for that number one pick. I just think that he just shows dominance on a different level than Aiden Hutchinson. If you want to call it this way, Hutchinson has an outstanding solid floor of consistency, I think, that we'll see game to game where Kayvon Thibodeau, he has the upside. He could just pop off and have some monstrous games, maybe veer off a little bit, but I like Kayvon Thibodeau a little bit more out of Oregon that would fit nicely with those Jags.
2: One of the deeper positions in this draft is cornerback right now. We've Derek Stingley's the consensus number one, but you got the two Cincinnati corners. You got guys like Andrew Booth, the kid McDuffie from Washington. So what do you think about the second through fourth end corner prospects? How early do you think those guys could go? We see it be a priority position in recent drafts because of it's a passing league but some of the years they don't go as early as expected
1: yeah i think sauce gunner is going to be an interesting one i think that he has the talent to be in the top 10 some team might fall in love with him and take him within the top six top five even just because i was looking at some of his game and i'm like this kid is a shutdown corner and I started looking at some of the stats. He hasn't allowed a pass over 20 yards the entire season, which is pretty impressive. Played outstanding against Alabama. Derek Stingley Jr. is a highly athletic corner. Really popped off his freshman year, but I did see him give up quite a bit of yards to some of the top – rated receivers and he was riddled by injury this season didn't really get a chance to play it's been a while since we've seen him on the field so as much as I like Derek Stingley Jr I'm a little bit cautious of him with some of the big plays I saw him give up but yeah corner I gotta say Sauce Gardner is my guy man that dude is just ridiculous
0: we are talking to Devi Watch football prospect evaluator and writer Jason DiRienzo we talk about what kind of draft this is going to be this year the last couple of years it was wide receivers offensive linemen This year has become really a thought of a defensive draft. A lot of corners, a lot of defensive linemen. I've been talking highly of this guy, this Purdue. Pass rusher off This guy predominantly could be the best pass rusher in this year's draft. He could be better than Hutchinson. He could be better than Thibodeau. What are your thoughts to this And where does he land? Where does he fall in this year's draft?
1: I like him a lot. I'm not going to speak too much of what I think of him as a prospect because I haven't done the deep dive yet. I really want to be able to do that to speak to what I think he can be. But from what I've seen on the field and watching him play. I think he's definitely a first-round pick, probably somewhere in the middle. All it takes is one team, guys. I think that it takes one team to really just say, I love this kid, I love the upside, and I'm taking him. I don't deny a lot of people that have been talking him up that he definitely deserves to be in that first round.
2: Being it's not a big quarterback draft, do you see still instances where teams will trade up into the top 10 where... They might go for that pass rusher, that top offensive lineman. you got to win football games in the trenches. Or do you think it's more of a straightforward year like we saw in 2020 where there wasn't much trading up with no combine and anything like that?
1: I do think that some teams are going to be trading up because there's quite a few needs at a quarterback. Desperation will make teams do things that you just speak to your mind, like, what is happening? Like, why are you doing this in a draft where it's not that strong? But landing spot is also key. So as much as I like Matt Corral and Sam Howe, where they land, but you also have Malik Willis who's got a lot of upside. I personally don't see it, but the upside I can understand. Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati. And I've talked about Carson Strong. So it only takes one team to fall in love with a player. I do think that we'll probably see one or two of these quarterbacks go in the top 10.
0: As you guys know, we are talking to Debbie Watch, football prospect, evaluator, writer, Jason DiRienzo. Jason, we're here in New York, and the Jets and the Giants, both of them are going to have Two top ten picks. I've never seen this before. I don't think this has ever happened in New York Giants, New York Jets history that both New York teams are drafting in the top ten. A lot of people say that this isn't the type of draft to draft in the top ten any way, shape, or form. I beg to differ. I think there's a lot of great talent. When you look at the Jets right now, if the season were to end, the Jets are drafting at four and seven, and the Giants would be drafting at five and eight. Where do both teams go at those
1: positions? man the Giants anywhere <laughs> they have so many holes I don't even know where to freaking start right now it all comes down to what they do with Daniel Jones obviously you got to try to protect your quarterback I think protection is going to be key an offensive line win would definitely be great for them they need offensive weapons too Kenny Galladay who they signed for 70 million dollars never even scored a touchdown this season <laughs> yeah. they couldn't keep any of the receivers healthy Saquon Barkley injured hopefully he comes back and he's healthy they need help on defense so they could go any number of those spots the Jets I feel a little bit more comfortable about that offense line looked pretty solid. I like the Elijah Moore pick that they had. Zach Wilson, I'm never going to judge a quarterback in their first year. No way. Zach Wilson, I wasn't really high on, but again, I, I got to give him time to figure it out. Even my guy, Justin Fields, who I really liked had a horrible season. That's just how it goes. Trevor Lawrence, look at him. Good Lord, he looked terrible. Just remember Peyton Manning's first rookie season, guys, and then it just kind of lets you just play it out. Out of all three quarterbacks
0: in the last couple of weeks, who's looked the best? Zach Wilson.
1: Zach Mac- Wilson has looked the best. Yes, I got to agree. He yeah. has. Mac Jones. He's is playing, on a different level. Yes,
0: he he's playing yeah. with a coach that actually uses him in an offense that is very simplified. And, and I think if Zach Wilson was playing in that offense, it would be simplified. Justin Fields, it would be simplified. So, yes, Mac Jones has been the best quarterback out of the bunch, but he's also playing with arguably the greatest coach of all time with one of the best running games, if not the best running game in all of football. So, again, you look at the advantages to have when you have a team like the Patriots. You can't really say, well, it's all Mac Jones. The last game that I watched the full game with Mac Jones, he threw how many 15-yard passes against the Colts? I think maybe three in the whole game. So he doesn't throw a lot. And when he does throw, he's accurate. So there's nothing bad to say about Mac Jones,
1: and he's a rookie of the year, candidate. See, I'm glad you brought that up because landing spot is key. Mm-hmm. He landed in the perfect spot. They wanted him. It's the perfect mesh. To answer your question, oh, I think defense would be good for the Jets at this point. They could look in free agency for some offensive help, but that Elijah Moore pick really helps solidify some things. Maybe Corey Davis can show something when he's healthy, but they also need a running back. Yeah. Getting that run game going, that defines who the Jets are. That's old school Jets football is running the ball. They need to find that running back, and they may find one in the draft with Kenneth Walker, Breeze Hall, Isaiah Spiller, one of these guys. They're not going to go in the first round, so there's going to be plenty of running backs to pick in day two and day three that they can snag. But I would say defense. If you're going to pick that high, go with some of the blue chip players.
2: You being a Bears fan, you got to watch Justin Fields really get exposed badly by a bad offensive line and some god-awful coaching this year. I've always said that, I think, being that he worked well with mobile quarterbacks and especially with Lamar Jackson, now Greg Roman would be a good fit As their head coach. And he's even done it with some of the backups this year. When Lamar was hurt. So what would you think of that kind of hire? Or is there a hire that you would prefer for the Bears. For
1: Justin Fields' development. I like that a lot. I would love if Roman was over there. I don't know right now. I haven't really got a chance to look at the landscape. I don't like this Harbaugh talk. I've seen this story too many times. I don't want it. He needs to stay in college, do his thing. I just saw him completely not know how to adjust the game plan in the college football playoffs because once they took away the run game and he couldn't control the clock anymore using Asan Haskins and Blake Corum, he fell apart. Well, that's exactly what's happening with Nagy. He doesn't know how to change things that are happening in the game in order to make things work. So please, no Harbaugh. But yeah, I don't really know yet who I'd be, feel comfortable with, but I like that call with Roman. That'd be great.
0: We are talking to Devi Watch, football prospect, evaluator and writer, Jason DiRienzo. So, Jason, your opinion about Daxton Hill. Is he the number two safety prospect in this year's draft? That's one. And number two, you were talking about running back for the New York Jets. Have you watched Michael Carter? What is your thoughts to Michael Carter and why you think the Jets need to go after another running back? And I think they need a power back, not just Michael yeah. Carter. And where do you see Daxton Hill as a safety in this year's draft?
1: Right now, I do have him number two. I have notre dame's kyle hamilton number one and that's a pretty easy one for me that kid kyle hamilton's just dominant but daxton hill playing in that last game was huge michigan needed him to play and they needed him to play because brock bowers the tight end for georgia was a big time playmaker and the number one basically receiver for georgia he gave up one big catch but daxton hill did a solid job and i like his prospects so right now he is number two for me And I got Kyle Hamilton number one. To move on to Michael Carter, I loved Michael Carter coming out of North Carolina. That kid is explosive. The only problem I have with him is he just doesn't have the play strength that Javante Williams had because those two were side by side. But I like the vision. I like the instincts. He's a great pass catcher, and he needs to be used that way use him as the pass catcher that he is but they do need a power back I think you need a lightning and you need a thunder Michael Carter could be the lightning they just need to add that thunder and I think they'll be solid kind of like the uh, Mike Allstott work done back in the mm. day combination I'd really like to see who's that the thunder
0: lot. who would you say the Jets need to look at who would be the addition of thunder on the New York Jets
1: Hassan Haskins is really interesting to me when I watched him play at Michigan because I'm trying to think of where the Jets might be looking for a running back and I don't think they're going to be looking too early Hassan Haskins is one. He's got great size. Good contact balance. Isaiah Spiller out of Texas AM is another guy that has great size. I like the way he runs, played good against some SEC teams. So those two are ones that really come to mind, but I just got to think that they're probably not looking too early. So Hassan Haskins, I think that might be the Thunder that they may be looking for.
2: So, one fascinating thing now in the NFL, and we're seeing a little bit more in college football as well, is hybrid players. A lot of running back receiver hybrids, receiver tight ends. We were talking about Kyle Pitts in this draft. Like, where does he play? And even on defense, too. Somebody like Isaiah Simmons who could play slot corner all linebacker spots safeties do you think this could be a modern trend that becomes more of a norm in the NFL and even in college football and if so how long do you think it'll take
1: I don't think it's gonna take long it's a copycat league right so when you see guys like Darren Waller that can transform into what he is they're gonna want to do that so I don't think it's gonna take long at all it's an explosive type of position it's a positional advantage to have a tight end that can play the way that you want a tight end to play so there's. not too many of them. Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame is a, highly regarded recruit him and Brock Bowers are the only ones I truly care about when it comes to football and what the outcome may be there's a couple prospects in this draft but I'm not too high on them Jake Ferguson out of Wisconsin's a sleeper for me I think that he might be able to turn into something he's got good athleticism has a pedigree but the tight end position is just not one that I'm thrilled with it's hard to evaluate and it's all about landing spot if a team doesn't use tight end then it's really not going to matter when we watched Darren Waller even he had what 20 targets in that week one and then we didn't really see much of them you had to feel pretty good about having him on your fantasy team and then he was gone so usage is key and to me it's travis kelsey i want a team that's going to use a tight end that way
0: as you guys know we are talking to Devi, watch football prospect evaluator and writer jason darienzo there's so many players going into this year's draft one chris alave who everybody thought was a predominant top end wide receiver going into the first round especially what he did in the co-national championship game before Ohio State went to the national championship. He really didn't have such a great season. Great speed. I don't know about size. He's very thin. He needs to put on some muscle going into the NFL, especially we've seen a lot of wide receivers, a.k.a. a bunch of Alabama guys, the last couple of drafts that have not looked good and they needed to build size. When you look at the wide receivers in this year's draft, is Alave the best one or do you like a Garrett Wilson? Is there any guy predominantly that really stands out to you that you believe could be an NFL superstar star, a top-notch wide receiver, because it's not really a wide receiver draft this year.
1: It's not, but I do think there's some solid ones. Garrett Wilson, to me, I absolutely love that kid. He may not have the size, and everybody's looking for size, but how much does that really translate when you look at the guys who have size that have gone into the NFL? A lot of times, that still doesn't pan out. And right now, the NFL doesn't care if you weigh 175 pounds. We've found this out. So Garrett Wilson, to me, has the nuance and the intelligence to be a long-term 10-year receiver with a great productive career. I do like Traylon Burks. Drake London's one that we have got to talk about at a USC. Got injured, but that guy is a monster and I do think that he's a good separator from what I've seen on film. So, Drake London, I'm pretty high on. Jahan Dotson out of Penn mm-hmm. State, that's another one that I think is going to kind of surprise where he goes in drafts. Chris Olave, he is your speedster, he's a good separator, but to me he's just that one trick pony. It kind of scares me a little bit. I'm not comparing him to Devin Smith from back in the day from Ohio State, but he's got the speed. He's don't, got the separation. Button.
0: Don't you bring up Devin Smith, the second I know. I, I thought about it as soon as the I New thought New I'm talking York Jets. guys that talk about the Jets. What a so. bust, man. What a <laughs> bust. Oh, my God. I remember when they moved up in the second round to get him. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? And then Jet fans were trying to compare him to Odell Beckham. I say like, he is not Odell Beckham. Not even close. What a oh, no. joke.
1: It was the touchdown in the national championship that put him straight on the map, going right from that into the draft. Jameson is one I need to study. This is his first year. And he popped off. And I got to give him credit. Transferred over from Ohio State. Lord knows what would have happened to his career if he didn't make that transfer. Transferred over and had a huge year for Alabama. And he picked the perfect team to be in the spotlight now he's going to be in the national championship game without John Mechie who's the other receiver so it's the spotlight for him and that was a great call so I do like Jamison just not as much as an evaluator from what I see from a guy like Garrett Wilson who I think has the characteristics to be a very productive longtime receiver
2: so you actually transitioned in my next question nicely where you were saying transfer. I wanted to ask about the transfer portal rules and also a lot of these college players now being able to get paid, probably benefiting a lot of those power schools. As a scout and an evaluator like you are, how do you think that kind of thing could affect the way you judge a player having to rotate between different quarterbacks, different schemes, if your defense play against different competition? You as a scout, how do you judge that kind of thing and with these informal one-year transfer portal, how will it change the way you judge it?
1: It's already a nightmare, I'll tell you that, trying to keep up with it all. But let's look at Oklahoma real quick. They just lost Spencer Rattler, five-star. He sucks. Right? They just he sucks. Saw <laughs> Yeah, he did not show what he was supposed to show. We could say the same thing about DJ Uyunglele. He became one of the worst quarterbacks I've watched all season out of Clemson and he was top rated five star as well. And they just lost Caleb Williams. their other five star who left and now maybe coming back to OU, but who knows? He's taking his time to make his decision. So it does make it difficult because I like to get an idea during the offseason when I have more time to really sit down and watch these players, what they are going to be able to do on the teams that they're going to be with. Some of these guys may not even jump on a team until later on once they finally make a decision so it just makes the evaluation process harder so i got to go off what i actually see in the movement skills which is what made me fall in love with this to begin with but where they land in college and in the nfl that does tailor into who they could possibly become because coaches and how they develop players has a lot to do with it too but yeah it's already kind of difficult but it's kind of fun at the same time because like i just said what would have happened to jameson williams if he stayed at Ohio State, we may not have seen Jackson Smith and do what he did. Marvin Harrison Jr., who I really like right behind him, who I think is going to be the up-and-comer there. Who knows what kind of opportunity he would have had if Jamison Williams was there. So it makes it fun, but it makes it difficult. And this is where I really got to trust what I see in my evaluation process as a scout.
0: Jason, before we let you go, when you look at last year's draft, and then you're going into <laughs> this year's draft, a lot of people say this year's draft is weaker than than last year's draft. Now, I don't understand how they say that because we've seen drafts over the years. Remember the Sam Darnold draft, how that could be the quarterback draft of the century with all the talent. And really, only two of those quarterbacks turned out to be anything. And Lamar Jackson might not have a job in a couple of years. And the only one that really stands out right now is Josh Allen. But you look at this year's draft, is there anything that really stands out in this year's draft that could kind of wash what people are saying that this draft is so weak? And what makes you think that this draft could be a predominantly great draft.
1: I think it's really the unknown. Look, when you talk about an NFL draft that's weak, if it's a strong quarterback class, we will normally typically say it's a strong draft class. With this being an unknown of not knowing where these guys are going to land and they haven't exactly had the careers that we all wanted from a quarterback. We also said that about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Mac Jones actually ended up being the guy who's, been looking the best out of all these guys and he wasn't a runner he's not a dual threat he's just in the right system so i honestly think that it could really become a draft where if the quarterbacks pan out this is a lot stronger than what we expected but i think the defense is going to help save this draft i do think it's a strong defensive draft i do think that the wide receivers as there might not be a top level i think there's a lot of depth two more questions before we let you go what are your thoughts about adam anderson
0: and what should the cowboys do in the draft
1: I do like Adam Anderson I haven't watched enough of him to really have a huge take on him but from what I've seen I like the pass rush ability I like the instincts seems like a quick processor to me I'm anxious to dive a little bit deeper but yeah I do like Adam Anderson and then as far as the Cowboys go a lot of times it's just getting back to the roots and Ezekiel Elliott to me he's gone he's off the cliff and I don't understand it look Tony Pollard what have we truly seen from Ezekiel Elliott to make you feel comfortable when Tony Pollard starts looking good that's a big problem I think they need to find a running back. They got to get the run game going to make this all work. They have CD Lamb. They have Amari Cooper. Michael Gallup's not going to be back unfortunately. He got injured in a contract year, and I think Dalton Schultz has shown enough to be serviceable as a tight end there, so the offense is looking good, and then you got Micah Parsons and Diggs. I think the sky's the limit for that defense if they can add a couple more pieces, but to me, get back to your roots, get your identity back, and get that run game going.
0: Jason, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media?
1: Yeah, you can find me at All Purpose Scout on Twitter. I'm at DeviWatch.com. I'm also doing some stuff with the Scouting Academy. We got a podcast going weekly, the weekly check down, and we are also putting out some scouting videos coming up that we're going to be working on during the summer called the Sophomore Leap we look at guys who had their rookie seasons and we see how they're going to do in their sophomore seasons so check those out it's a good time Jason we'd love to get you on somewhere around the draft I would love it we'll definitely talk
0: some draft conversation there's a lot so many things that could happen after combine guys are going to move up because of speed their hands or whatever the heck they're looking at their feet how witty they are (laughs) you know when it comes to their brains who the hell knows next thing you know it is who has bigger underwear the longer the better elastic underwear new (laughs) addition Jason thank you for joining us, bud.
1: Hey, appreciate it, guys. Thank you.
0: Jason Darienzo, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic kid, Speedy. He is a kid because I'm older than him, so mm-hmm. not surprised. And but was in the Navy, too. <laughs> yes. A hero. Give a shout-out to Jason for the time that he was in and, and all the military guys and females that are right now fighting for our country. Thank you, Jason. We'll get him on. He, he's fantastic again. Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. When we come back, what are we going to get into, Speedy? I have an idea. We're going to get into some basketball because somebody over there in New York just can't take the booze, but he can take everything else for the fans when they're screaming MVP. Well, when we come back, I've got a lot more to say about Julius Randle, who embarrassed himself on a New York Knicks court in Madison Square Garden when his teammate hits the game-winning three-point shot and pisses himself off. When we come back, we'll get into the Knicks. We'll get into some Brooklyn Nets conversation. Kyrie Irving's back. So we'll be back after this. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I am your host, Carol Marks, my co-host Petey. I need a bike, Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports team Magazine and the world. Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app, but go on iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Jason Darienzo, great, great prospect evaluator. Looking forward to seeing what he has stored for the draft this year. Very, very exciting. So why don't we get into this Knicks saga... ...where the Knicks haven't played good basketball all season long. Tom Thibodeau looks like he's going to have a heart attack. Kemba Walker is one of my favorite players. Can't stay on the court. He gets benched for almost a month. Then he comes on the court and wins player of the week. Doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense with the Knicks. They bring in Evan Fournier in the beginning of the season. It looks like he's going to be a big piece offensively. And then all of a sudden he falls off. And then all of a sudden he plays a game like he had the other night... It helps the Knicks win. He was a big reason why the Knicks won that game. The development of R.J. Barrett has been horrible. Absolutely horrible. But even though all the things that I just said are bad things, the worst is yet to come. Julius Randle is a man that throughout the league is very well respected and also feared. He's a big man, powerful man, good basketball player. Carmelo Anthony wannabe. This guy is not a great shooter whatsoever. He's not a p- good perimeter shooter. I've seen more air balls and bricks watching him Madison Square Garden than I've seen him go away when he can actually hit a shot. Last year, the fans were screaming MVP in the playoffs. MVP. And because the Knicks weren't playing well and he couldn't hit a shot if he paid him. Well, they do pay him. But he couldn't hit a shot in the first and the second half. He gets booze.
2: Let's just say there's no bonus
0: incentives. <laughs> so what does Julius Randle do? He puts his thumb down. And this becomes a New York thing because we saw Lindor. We saw Baez do it last year, which caused a lot of trouble with the Yankees. And the Yankees didn't like that because they thought they were dissing them, trying to play him. When you see that from Julius Randle, a talented kid, he really is. He's a great, talented player. But he's not a number one. He's not even a Robin. He's not a number two. To me, he's like an elf. (laughs) A dwarf. I'm talking about Lord of the Rings, by the way. I'm not even talking about that. (laughs) I love Lord of the Rings, by the way. He's a hobbit. (laughs) He might be a hobbit. That's good. He doesn't look like one, but he might be. We'll call him Bilbo Baggins. Nice. But honestly, the fact that after the game, he comes out and he says that when they asked him what did the thumbs down mean, he pretty much said, shut the F up. When you attack the fans, those particular fans that were Screaming MVP with you. What does that create? What does that stir to the ownership? What does that stir create to the league about who he is as a person? Could he handle a crowd, a fan base over there in New York when the crowd is on him? Where he needs to hit a big shot, and he misses it, and he throws an air ball or a brick, which he hasn't been
2: hitting game-winning shots since he's been here? What does this tell you, Speedy? Well, here's the difference as well, too, between the Baez-Lindor thing and Julius Randle. With Baez, the fans started it first. They started booing him when the first week he came to the Mets, he wasn't doing anything. He was making a bunch of bonehead things, and he was being cocky, whatever. They did it first, and then Baez responded. The Knicks fans... Yeah, there's going to be some that are disappointed in Julius Randle, but it's not something that every Knicks fan hates Julius Randle. There were a lot of Knicks fans still defending Julius Randle. He was still putting up the leading scoring totals in a lot of games, double-doubles. There were fans defending him with that. Not everyone was doing it because, again, you have to expect some regression from last year. Last year was an anomaly for his career. But to do it without any context the way he did it, celebrating a big Knicks win. They came back down 25 points against the Celtics. Evan Fournier gets revenge on his former team. 41 points. R.J. Barrett hits a buzzer beater after Jason Tatum ties it with five seconds to go. What a thrilling win, now ruined and diminished by that kind of thing. Why? Because you didn't take the shot? This is why I always am annoyed with a lot of these contexts of whose team is it. If there is a problem with that, there's going to be a problem with it with other star players that, oh, you didn't take the shot. Now, I'm not saying every player is like that, mm-hmm. but the NBA is the only sport that seems to have that problem on quote-unquote whose team is Pre- it. Madonnas. Yeah. But they are. And sometimes you can get away with it if you have, again, another superstar player that maybe doesn't have as big of an ego or a veteran that's been able to handle a lot of superstar players like LeBron James. Now, not every case is like that. And Julius Randle, maybe now getting this kind of new recognition of what he was last year, Mm -hmm. can't handle that kind of thing. And that's a big problem for him mentally. That's a big problem for him when it comes to a leadership perspective of this team. And just as a starting player in general, just trying to gain chemistry with all these new players. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing it to the fans, ruining a monumental night for R.J. Barrett and Evan Fournier Mm -hmm. and a huge win against a bitter rival. Granted, the Celtics aren't a great team, but they came back down 25 points. They're still a nice defense. They came back the way they did like that, and it's all going to be hindered by your immaturity. Did you hear that the Knicks had an
0: opportunity early before the season started, to go after a superstar player to play beside Julius Randle to give them a chance to win a championship this year. And a lot of the players that they were looking to trade for, it just didn't fit the culture. doesn't fit what the Knicks are looking for. So they didn't go and they didn't jump the gun. They gave Julius Randle a big contract. He took a very small contract for a guy that had the season that he had last year because he wants the Knicks to bring in players. If you don't want to be here, even though you say you do want to be here, you have to be a different player. You have to be a different person. To play in New York and and play in front of the world's most famous fans in in the arena, you have to play – At the top of your game, and you can't be a baby. Listen to LeBron James. Where's his favorite place to play? Madison Square Garden. Kobe Bryant, Madison Square Garden. Michael Jordan, Madison Square Garden. Larry Bird, Madison Square Garden. Magic Johnson, Madison Square Garden. All these players in the past, in the present, always love to play in Madison Square Garden because it's the world's most famous arena. It's a privilege to play over there. But this team, I don't know where it's at. I don't know what Julius Randle is, but he needs to wake up because this team every single week is showing me that there's a lot more problems and a lot less benefit to keeping these younger players like Obi Toppin, like Quickly, on the bench and letting these guys play and see what this second hand or these bench players that are playing better than the starters, Mm -hmm. see what they could do. As a starting lineup.
2: And if you allegedly took more money to quote-unquote have them bring in another superstar player or star player, why not get used to a second or third option role? Why do you have to still think, oh, I have to take every final shot of the game? Mm -hmm. I've actually said Julius Randle this year, when he does actually pass the ball, has been a good facilitator and improved from where he was even at points last year too. Yet, he still is shooting 42% because he's taking too many bad shots. And early in the shot clock... Then all of a sudden your defense gets worn out and their defense doesn't look as good this year. So if you want another player to play with you, one, you don't want to get that kind of reputation that you're going to ruin that other player and they're not going to want to play with you. But also, if you get another sharp shooting type player or top point top, guard should be playing play. you you have to get it used to not quote unquote taking the final shot every time you'll get your moments i'm not saying never have julius randall take the final shot if he's open he's open let him shoot but he hasn't good. earned that to do it every time you're not Damian lillard you're not somebody like devin booker or kyrie irving or kevin duran or steph curry you're not somebody like that you haven't earned that kind of thing right. and if you want another superstar to play with you that's not a good mentality to have. Mm. I think when you look at the big
0: picture with the Knicks, they got to figure out what this team identity is because that I don't even think they know what it is. As far as the Brooklyn Nets' concern is... Well, I don't think there's a concern. Kyrie Irvin is back. Now, he's not going to be playing home games because of the whole vaccination. Uh He's not going to be playing in LA. It will hurt them if he doesn't get the vaccination before the playoffs because you can't have Kyrie Irvin play in a series where he's only playing one or two games and that's it. What is the benefit of that? But Kyrie Irvin return is definitely going to make this Brooklyn Net team play better. They haven't looked good for the last two weeks, week and a half. The other night they won barely and Kyrie Irvin was a big part of the win. But once he gets his feet wet and he gets his feet under him, I think Kyrie Irvin's going to be a dangerous player, Speedy.
2: Yeah, he looked good in that first road game against the Pacers. They're not a great team, but they're still a pretty good defensive team. And I think he played close to... 30 minutes. They said his minutes were going to be limited, but I think he still played close to 30, 25, 26 minutes and 22 points, 4 rebounds, 3 assists in that game. He was a little rusty to begin, but once he got going, he definitely was fluent. He definitely looked like he had some good chemistry with Kevin Durant still, and that's going to be something that their Nets are going to need because if you don't have that big three to bail out somebody that might have shooting woes. James Harden, we've seen have shooting woes in the playoffs. Blake Griffin's had his playoff woes. He played well for the Nets last year, but he also struggled many times with the Clippers. Mm -hmm. Kevin Durant's great, but you can't have one guy to win in the playoffs and the nets have created a good road identity i think they've only lost three games on the road all year the problem is they've lost five straight home games too and the nets they don't get the fan attraction the knicks do anyway we saw them have to sell playoff tickets have james harden go outside sell playoff tickets so it's It's clearly not a great it's clearly not a great home crowd advantage as it is so Mm -hmm. you're gonna need all the help you can get and that help is Kyrie Irving. So, yeah, he has to get vaccinated to play there because otherwise it's going to be very tough for the Nets, even as a higher seed if they are that. They were the two seed in the East coming into the day. But if they're going to get that home court advantage and you're playing four out of the seven games there, that's going to be very hard. And winning on the road, I know they've done it all year. It's still very hard to do in the NBA, and that's why you don't see a lot of like four versus three NBA right. final matchups.
0: absolutely And that's going to be... A huge question when the trade deadline comes around. Where do the Brooklyn Nets go? Where do the Knicks go? Where do the Lakers go? It's going to be very, very fun. Mm -hmm. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some baseball. The lockout, Buckshaw Walter, Eric Chavez. No, he's not a New York Yankee. He decides after signing with the Yankees Last week, you know what? I'm going to rip this contract out. I'm going with Buck over across the Hudson with the New York Mets, and then bring in Joey Cora. Is the Mets the real deal with this coaching staff? I'll tell you why it could be, but it's still the Yankees town. When we come back, I'll tell you why it's still the Yankees town here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This... This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, for co-host Speedy. I need a baseball cap, Heady. Remember, you can listen to the Weekend Crunch every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, baseball is interesting, ladies and gentlemen. It's even more interesting here in New York, even at the lockout, because the Mets are making all the splashes. Last week, they introduced Buck Showalter as the manager of this team. Buck is obviously a New York representative. He used to manage with the Yankees, helped build that dynasty in the 90s before he was let go by Mr. Steinbrenner, and then Joe Torre took over for him. He comes to New York, he signs the three-year contract, and then he has to try to find his batting coach, his hitting coach. And then he has to try to find some third-base coach and first-base coach. He brings in his first-base coach from his past. So now he's looking for two management positions. Eric Chavez signed with the Yankees. A week later, there was breaking news that Chavez decided to scratch that contract that he signed with the Yankees and go across the Hudson to coach and be the hitting coach for Buck Showalter. But that doesn't put the icing on the cake for the New York Mets. Oh, no, it doesn't. An hour or two hours later after the Chavez news, there's more news. Third base coach will be Joey Cora, a manager in the minor leagues, a manager that a lot of people think is going to be a sensational manager when he gets an opportunity in the MLB He was a pretty good baseball player, too, with the Seattle Mariners. There's so much to say about what the Mets have done here, but does it hurt the Yankees, Speedy? I don't think so. I still think this is a Yankees town. The Yankees got to get this lockout over with because there's some moves that they need to make. They need to bring in some relief pitching. This team is not a contender whatsoever. They're a playoff team, but they're a playoff that can get knocked out one, two, three. They Mm -hmm. need to figure out what this bullpen is. And they need to add either a star first baseman for a trade or free agency and decide if Volpe is the guy that you want to start, even though there are stories coming out to say that they would give Volpe the ball at shortstop at the end of spring training if he has a good spring training. So, Speedy, what is your thoughts with the Mets? And the big, bad, Empire Strikes Back Yankees.
2: Well, the Yankees, I don't think, lose a lot with the hitting coach just because I think they just have more of an identity problem than they do who actually is coaching them. And I think that comes from the analytics department. That comes from approaches just the way the players are just because sometimes when they have all the injuries at once, it seems like the Yankees have, some players just do have to do everything in that lineup, and it's really hindered them, and even somebody like DJ LeMahieu, who we know is a good batting average and contact hitter, had a down year last year, because he started to try to swing for the fences a lot, and I think that just the Yankees have that kind of identity crisis, same thing I mentioned with their bullpen, it's just not a modern bullpen they have to adjust and evolve their game to take it to the next level, in 2017 they were able to hit for contact and hit in the clutch where they needed to, since then, it's really been kind of iffy, so I don't know if necessarily one hitting coach is necessarily going to be the thing to change that. I think it's just more of a team approach issue more than anything else. And in terms of Chavez, I don't think it's really a shot at the Yankees. I don't think it's really a New York thing. It's more of I think a hitting coach elevates his chances of him becoming a manager more than would be a third base coach. Base running in today's game is devalued because analytics – say you shouldn't steal bases as often as we mm-hmm. saw in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties. You're wasting outs if you get caught, especially if you're not really a on base percentage guy. So the base running aspect that Joey Cora now has to deal with is not going to be as prioritized when you does look good as if the Mets hit well. Mm-hmm. Now granted talent is something to do with that too. Absolutely. So but if Eric Chavez gives that approach to the Mets that also have had problems situationally hitting over the years then that'll help elevate his stock for him to get a managerial job because managers now are being hired younger and younger. It's not like in hockey where there's still a lot of older guys being hired. NBA, I mean, sometimes it's the players, coach, puppet-type things, but Mm -hmm. sometimes there's still some veteran coaches that get hired, like Tom Thibodeau. But in baseball, you're not really seeing that anymore. Buck Showalter is right now the exception to the rule, and we saw the Tigers recently, Ron Garner, hire stuff like that. But it's mostly a lot of former players, guys like Rocco Baldelli, guys like David Bell, Gabe Kapler, all these young guys that have a fresh mind for that. And maybe Eric Chavez is the next wave of that. Maybe Joey Cora is the next wave of Mm -hmm. that. He's a minor league manager. He got some major league interviews. I think the Padres interviewed him before they got Bob Melvin. I think actually Seattle did interview him a couple years ago or something like that before they got their manager. So I think he'll get one someday, just being that. But Eric Chavez, I think, accelerated his path. Now, if the Mets don't do well, maybe he didn't. If the Mets don't hit that'll hurt him badly but he took a good chance with a loaded offense or it should be a loaded offense on paper yep and i i will say this when you talk about the mets this isn't the
0: laughing stock of baseball anymore steve cohen is making this team A championship competitive team, adding Max Scherzer, adding the pieces that he's added. This team should be a playoff team. If they don't make the playoffs this year, adding Buck and adding all these managers and adding all these multi-million dollar players. I mean, he's already spent over $800 million. This team is bound to win if you're going to open up your pockets and throw it out there. I just don't know if buying your championships is enough to win a championship. You ask the Yankees, it hasn't been, but... As far as the Yankees are concerned, they have to figure out what this team's identity is as far as, are they a power-hitting team? Are they going to play small ball like they did in the second half of the season in certain aspects? Aaron Boone says, we don't play small ball, but then all of a sudden he started playing it and the Yankees started to win. And then they stopped doing that and started depending on power again. So mm-hmm. I think the Yankees need to figure out who they are in certain positions in shortstop and first. I think those are the positions that need to be cleaned up. Catcher, you could always add a good catcher in yeah, product, a you know, system. system, so you, you don't know who is going to have a good season, and who, who doesn't? Austin Wells could be called up this year mm-hmm. as their starting catcher. So, I mean, they're positioned very, very well. So, I mean, as far as the major league is concerned, there are a few teams that you're looking forward to making moves. The Boston Red Sox are a team that you definitely yep. want to see what they're going to do. I think they're going to go after the Suzuki, Japanese. Yep. Putting all their eggs in one basket, thinking that
2: they're <laughs> whatever going to money they have left. Yeah. You know,
0: I, I don't understand it, but. Hopefully he turns out to be a player, but I think there are other teams very much interested in him, too. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be an interesting offseason in baseball. When we come back, we'll get into the national championship because that's interesting. And we'll finish up with some hockey conversation when we come back from break here on the Weekend Crunch. Woo! Yeah! We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host... Speedy, ruthless speedy. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, I'm here. Happy happy new year. Oh yeah, a mm-hmm. little song for me, for me to you. I can't give you any other gifts besides talking sports for you guys when you're driving home or whatever the heck you're doing listening to us. I could sing to you, it'll scare you away and maybe th- make you throw up or put you to sleep and I mean really put you in a deep sleep and you uh, maybe sleeping beauty. <laughs> but I'm not going to be the prince that's going to kiss Anybody, let me tell you. <laughs> I wanted to get into the national championship. And Speedy, before I go back and forth on, on what I think is going to happen in national championship, you are my expert. From me and you, I'm not the expert in national championship. I know some of these teams very, very well. I know Nick Saban. I understand what he's all about. I understand what Georgia and Alabama, how the SEC has been dominated by these two teams. I also know the head coach in Kirby. We all know Curb. He was the assisting coach on the Alabama Crimson Tide before he took this job and really Georgia hasn't beaten the Crimson Tide in 7 straight games. So they're bound to win. So Speedy, what is your thoughts going
2: into the National Championship? on Monday. There are concerns for Alabama that I have with their offensive line in particular, and a lot of it had to do with the edge rushers of Cincinnati really doing a good job at, one, containing Bryce Young for most of that game and also being able to stop the run. Alabama pulled away in the second half, yeah, but that game was close in the first half for quite a while. Cincinnati's defense in that front seven was making it very hard for them to be a balanced team. Alabama had to rely a lot on their slot receivers, which, with the talent that Georgia has in the middle of the field, With the safeties, with a linebacker like N'Kobe Dean, who's very talented, and a lot of speed on that defense, it's going to be very hard for you to be able to win this game relying on slot receivers, and that's why somebody like Jamison Williams is going to have to play better, some of these tight ends are going to have to play better. Even some of the running backs, maybe they have to be the ones catching passes, trying to spread Georgia out a little more. Because if you play the middle of the field game with Georgia, it's going to be very hard for you to win. And they tried to do that a lot against Cincinnati, and Cincinnati did well. They hung tough for a while. If Cincinnati's offense was even somewhat competent in that game, you're looking at a completely different game. Alabama still might win, but it might look closer than it was. Because they didn't really look great in the first half, especially with that offensive line. And Georgia's pass rush is lethal. That defense is historically good. Now for their offense, Georgia... They're going to need to still be able to spread the ball around nicely. Stetson Bennett proved a lot against Michigan, who has a good secondary. They're better against the run, but they still have a good defense in the back end, too. And he proved a lot. Now, he's still going to have to be able to stretch the field against Alabama. You're not going to be able to get away with some of the things. Even with Alabama having a lot of losses on that defense, Nick Saban's scheme will still be able to make a difference with that defense. So he's going to have to stretch the field, and if he doesn't stretch the field, here comes JT Daniels, a guy that can stretch the field. Brock Bowers is a tight end that played very well in that game against Michigan, who have good linebackers, have good safeties. So can they expose that matchup, spread him around, too? They don't have George Pickens anymore at wide receiver, so they're going to really have to be rotating there, too. And their running game, too. Can they win at the line of scrimmage? Alabama can stop the run. Their front seven's very good, just like Georgia's. So... Those are the key matchups. Georgia has the duo of the running backs. So Kirby Smart is also going to have to be creative with that too and try to outcoach Nick Saban. You have to do some different things than you normally do. So we'll see if he's up to the challenge. And
0: Bryce Young will be the face of this championship game because he is the Heisman Trophy winner. He is the one that everybody thinks is the chosen one to come out of Alabama and be the predominant number one pick next year. We've heard this before. Devontae Smith last year being the Heisman Trophy winner. For Alabama, that's back-to-back years. An Alabama player has won the Heisman Trophy. Obviously, the, the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, has been the most dominant team in all of college football. But like you were saying, Jamison Williams and Cole aid McKinstry. Yes. And then Brian Robinson, who is a senior, he's going to go to the NFL. And he proved himself in the Fab Four championship <laughs> game. So I just think that when you look at this national title, it's Georgia's the win and Alabama to just completely shut them down and bury them because next year Alabama's going to have all their players back, Mm -hmm. and Georgia's going to have a lot of their players go to the NFL, so they're going to be rebuilding. So Alabama, if they don't get knocked off this year, they're not getting knocked out next year.
2: Yeah, this was always kind of the transitional year for Alabama. They were still supposed to be good, but it wasn't the same obvious national championship type team. A lot of new receivers all at once, a lot of new offensive linemen all at once, and Bryce Young still played very well amidst those circumstances, but this is a very, very good Georgia defense. And also Alabama, the last time they won back-to-back championships was at the beginning of the last decade, too. And that was really early in Nick Saban's tenure. So it's still not easy to win back-to-back championships. And a lot of times when you see all these rematches, eventually – they figure one out. Mm-hmm. And Georgia's lost it a lot of weird ways, switching quarterbacks with Alabama. When Tua came in for Hurts, then in the SEC championship game next year, Hurts came in for Tua when Tua got hurt. And so maybe Georgia does that kind of thing too. Maybe it's the Bennett and Daniels playing, and maybe they throw Nick Saban. Now, I don't think Nick Saban's going to be unprepared for that. Bennett should not be playing in this game. The question mark will be with a lot of these young defensive backs if they're going to be ready for that kind of adjustment, because JT Daniels has a very different skill set than Stetson Bennett. I think Stetson Bennett earned the right to at least start the game just the way he played with Michigan. But, yeah, I do think you'll see Daniels in this game for sure. It's going to be a very interesting
0: championship. I have my uh, bets with the Georgia Bulldogs, and I think they have a very good defense. One of the best defenses I've seen. Fast defense. Fun to watch. Really, really fun to watch. Both teams. This is going to be fun. It'll be a fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it'll be very, very close as well. Before we go to break, Speedy, I want to get into a little bit of hockey. Your thoughts to the Rangers. What do the Rangers need to do coming back from COVID? They did not look good against Vegas. I'm so sick and tired of the Ranger fan calling Gorgiev out because he had a bad game. And then when he has a good game, he stinks anyway. So I, I don't understand. It, it's really a hit or miss with this kid for the Ranger fans. Yeah,
2: so. I've never been a big e. Gorgiev guy. I think he's done well in like certain emergency roles, but as a consistency basis, he hasn't been great since he first came up, which has usually been the gap with Rangers goaltenders as it is. Since they've come back from this break, They've been kind of streaky. They did well against the Lightning. They beat them twice and really dominated the second game they played. But they also lost to Florida where they collapsed. They got blown out by Vegas. So they've had some tough tests to start. Now, again, doing this without Shusterkin for a lot of the time outside of the one Lightning game is going to be a challenge that they're going to have to go forward with. He's going to be out again with COVID probably for another three games, maybe more. And whether it's Kincaid, whether it's Georgiev, somebody's going to have to step up in that kind of role. So the Rangers are going to have to buckle down defensively. They've been improved. Still not great but they've been improved this year and Gallant has really done a good job getting these forwards to play defense as well, which has helped them, really avoid a lot of these, like, bad breakaways outside of the Vegas game. The Vegas game, just throw it away. One bad loss to a very good team. Play the way you did against Tampa. A lot of those kinds of things can carry over. They beat them twice in a row. That's hard to do for Mm -hmm. defending champs. Absolutely.
0: As far as the Islanders are concerned, well, when are they playing again? Who knows? Finally, the Islanders and the NHL get it right, but it might be a little too little too late, because this should have happened months ago when the outbreak happened. The Islanders lost eight games in a row before they actually tied a game. And now the Islanders are playing catch up and now before they get to play next week Thursday, you're talking about them being behind the Rangers The Rangers have 10 games over the Islanders. So all the other teams, I mean, does it benefit them? Yes. But not really because they're going to do double headers. They're going to be very, very tired throughout the season and with a new arena, obviously. And that's not like a home game. That's an away game. And then traveling around the way they did in the beginning of the season because the Islander organization decided for them to be a traveling team the first month and go over 11,000 yards. A terrible. Absolutely horrible. Yeah what they did to the Islanders. So, that's my thought. They've won two games in a row since they've come back. They're starting to play good hockey. That's what you want to see with the Islanders. They're built for the playoffs. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got?
2: Debate wars and crunch time.
0: Here on the Weekend Crunch. Yeah! Yeah, yeah! Yeah, yeah! Yeah! We're back! New Year's Eve! We're back! The Weekend Crunch is here! The Weekend Crunch is here! Errol and Speedy are here to stay! What, what, what? We are the Weekend Crunch. I am Big Easy Errol Marks, my co-host Speedy Petey. We are here every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time Only on 103.9... The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, Apple, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 the first crunch time in Debate Wars. Are we ready, Speedy? Yes, here we go.
2: This is
0: the Debate Hour. And now, in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a s***?
2: All right. So who is the better pitcher on the Hall of Fame ballot? Tim Hudson or Andy Pettit?
0: Andy Pettit. To me, he's the Yankees. He was the best pitcher for the Yankees really since the A-Train. And you know who I'm talking about, Mr. Whitey Ford. So, playoff bound, one of the best playoff pitchers of all time. And even in the regular season, if you needed a big game, you go to Big Game Andy. So give me the Andy Big Nose Pettit.
2: I'm going to go with Tim Hudson on this one, because I also think he had some playoff success, too, in Oakland. Again, hit or miss a lot of the time. Oakland was a really bad playoff team, but he still pitched well in a lot of those series with the Braves later on. With a lot of teams that were getting older at the time, he was still pitching well. I think his longevity was a little better, and I think his consistency later in his career. A lot more three ERA Seasons where Andy Pettit had more in the fours, not as consistent. So, I'm gonna go just because of the longevity, I'm gonna go with Tim Hudson. All right, one football one. Who is the better, technically, New York receiver, Amani Toomer or Eric Moltz? I'm gonna go with Amani Toomer.
0: I think he was very good with the Giants. You forget in 2007, he was part of that Super Bowl championship team. And Tiki Barber said it best he's the best player he's ever played with offensively. So Tiki, with the injuries that he had early in his career, and really mid-time of his career, he wasn't healthy either. Definitely hurt his career, possibly being a borderline Hall of Famer, but he's not. So I'm going to go with Imani Tumor.
2: I'm actually going to go with Eric Moltz. Even though I am a Giants fan, he had a lot of years with 100-plus uh, catches in a season. Double the amount of catches Imani Toomer had in his career. Imani Toomer had more touchdowns and slightly more yards, but not by much. Eric Moltz didn't play with a lot of great quarterbacks in his career. The Buffalo Bills, since Jim Kelly retired, really were in an- a slump of finding quarterbacks, and Eric Mould still did well amidst all that, and a lot of the time, the Monty Toomer, early in his career, was kind of a number one receiver, but later on, he had plaxical bursts, and I don't think he really had those same kind of numbers. I think Moulds had a little more consistency, so I'm actually going to go with him, even though I am a Giants fan. So that'll conclude Debate Wars, and now we go on to Crunch Time.
0: It's time for Crunch Time. All
2: right. So Cooper cup close to the receiving record again. So he had only 95 yards last week. So he's going to need 171 receiving yards to get to 2,000 this week. Buy or sell? He will do it.
0: Sell. I thought he was going to do it. If he got 120, 130 yards last week, I think he definitely breaks it. I don't think he breaks it this week. I know they'll try to break it because I know he wants that record. But I'm going to say no. I'm going to sell it.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. That's a lot to ask for. The 49ers, even though they don't have a great secondary, are still a very good game planning type team. I think Cooper Cup plays better than he did in the first meeting. The 49ers are one of the few teams That really contained him well But I think Beyond that I don't think he gets 171 To make that kind of thing work That's a lot to ask for So I am also going to sell it Alright Buy or sell The winner of the National Championship Will score 30 or more points
0: I'm gonna buy that Because the National Championships Is always higher score games And it is college football Alabama could score And even though Georgia Doesn't have a quarterback If JT Daniels plays I think it could be high scoring. So give me a buy on that one.
2: I'm going to buy it too. Georgia 3121 31-21 was my pick. I don't think it'll be easy for them to get there, but I am concerned about Alabama's secondary, and I do think Brock Bowers is a good matchup nightmare. And I do think you'll see JT Daniels in this game as well. So I'm going to buy it. I think they get it going kind of later in the game. It'll be close throughout, and then Georgia pulls away. 31-21 is my score pick. All right, buy or sell. So Klay Thompson will make his debut on Sunday. He will have 20-plus points, 4-plus rebounds, and 3-plus assists against the Cavs. Yeah.
0: He hasn't played in two years. I'm going to sell it. The Cavs are a good team, defensive team. They're going to keep him on the perimeter. He needs to get the momentum before he can even become that player that he once was, defensively and offensively. So I'm going to sell it.
2: I'm going to sell it, too. I think the point I think he can get, I don't know about the rest of it because I don't know, him, one, I don't know him, how much he's going to ball handle it, two, I don't know how much they're going to put him rebounding a lot of the time, too, off that kind of injury. So I'm also going to sell it. All right, buy or sell another record that could be broken. TJ Watt needs two sacks to break the single season sack record. He will get it
0: i buy it. Against the Ravens, absolutely. Lamar Jackson holding the ball too long, he's going to get to you. I'm absolutely going to buy
2: it. I'm going to buy it too. Outside rushing defenses are generally good to contain these running type quarterbacks. And even if Lamar Jackson doesn't play, all their other backups are all mobile guys too. So the offensive scheme is not going to change. So I'm going to buy it as well. All right, buy or sell? Both Georgia and Alabama will have three or more sacks.
0: I absolutely buy it. I think both teams are great defensive teams. They can get at the quarterback. Bryce Young is going to be stuck in the pocket. They're going to want to keep him in the pocket. If he moves out of the pocket, that's where he's most dangerous. So expect that to happen. Keep him in in the pocket. So he will be sacked. Stetson, Bennett, he he can't run for crap. If JT Daniels is not playing, they're going to be in a lot of trouble at that quarterback position. So I believe he'll be sacked too. So I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy
2: it too. I think the lack of mobility with the Georgia quarterbacks, even though their offensive line is still pretty good. Will Anderson's going to be a tough matchup. Even Christian Harris on that left side for Alabama is tough and Bryce Young against that kind of defense. Again, did not look great with Cincinnati rolling out and seemed playing a little conservative at certain points, which I think they're going to play it safe in certain instances as well, so I'm also going to buy it. I think he'll have good passing yards, but not a lot of rollouts and he'll be sacked. All right, buy or sell. Kyrie Irving will average more points, assists, and rebounds for the rest of the season than what he did in his first game, 22-4-3. and
0: I think he's going to get better, so I'm going to sell that. Kyrie Irving's too good of a player. He hasn't played on a basketball court in months. Once he gets his momentum, once he gets his understanding of what what this team is He's only going to get better So I'm going to sell
2: that I'm going to say He definitely improves on that So I think The assists Might be a little harder Because James Harden Is still going to be able To handle the ball a lot But definitely the points Once he gets going I think he'll have more points per game Than James Harden A lot of time, Even though James Harden Is a volume shooter I think, as a whole, you just have to expect him to get better and really get in a groove at some point. So, I am also going to buy it. We're going to do one baseball one. David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez. Either one of them will make the Hall of Fame on their first balance.
0: David Ortiz has a better chance, just because he has some kind of love fest for him. I'm going to say no. I'm going to sell that, because both of them are steroid abusers. They both did it. Some of these writers, even though they love David Ortiz and hate Alex Rodriguez... I think David Ortiz will be the first one that's been proven to do steroids to go into the Hall of Fame, which is a shame because I think Barry Bonds should be there, so I'm going to sell it.
2: I'm going to sell it too just because a lot of the polarizing things with the steroids right now, and also the DH position in general. Look how long it took Edgar Martinez to get in, and I think they just have a vendetta with that, which, again, could change once the DH comes to the National League and there's more of those types of hitters. A-Rod, yeah, he's had his problems doing the steroids, doing it twice as well too, so that's not going to make it easy for them to get in. So I don't think either one. I think David Ortiz was getting a good percentage so far, So he might have a shot, but I still don't think he gets in. I still think they'll put those other guys in first. Clemens and Bonds are doing well on the latest I've heard with getting in on that ballot. So I think they'll be the only two this year, and then it'll be a ripple effect for everybody else. So I agree with you. I will sell it.
0: So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I hope everybody enjoyed our show. Thank you to Jason DiRienzo for joining us, our prospect, evaluator, and specialist. Thank you to all the fans writing us and giving us fan mail and 103.9 for having us here. We're going to continue doing and giving you guys a good product. Shout out to Mike, the producer. We love you, man. Thank you for all the stuff that you do for us over there at 103.9 and over there at JVC, so thank you. Very, very excited for the new year. Everybody, stay safe, stay calm and collective, and have a happy and a healthy rest of your week. When we come back next week, we'll have more guests until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying goodnight, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.